Welcome back, everybody, to Uptown Drama. You're getting better and better okay, at yeah. this every time. <laughs> I'm so proud of you. Um, Maybe we'll add a key change the next time. Oh, yeah. You right. don't underestimate a good key change for to, like, get the feels, to get the audience to get the feels. How are you doing, Jeffrey? I'm I'm good. I'm excited because this is a, we're marking a change in how we do podcasts today. We are. This is episode two of season Two, two and we are back in the space yep. together with a very special guest and who's our guest cecilia flores i'm so excited to have you on i've been waiting for this one welcome not half as excited as i am you youngsters <laughs> <laughs> we're not the youngsters anymore jeffrey and i keep saying that remember when we were the mavericks in yeah. town it's like now we're the old folks going. Like, ah, no, you're. Uh, if you must, you're middle aged. I'm way past middle aged. So. <laughs> I right. have a very, very, very important question for you, Cecilia. Hit me. Are you a coffee or tea person, and why? I am both, because I never began to drink coffee. I love the way it smells. I didn't like the way it tasted. Once I became a full time caregiver, coffee. <laughs> However, I am prone to drinking the second pressing of a Keurig because my mother must have the first and I don't give a rat's ass. Oh, so do you do, you do the, the Keurig cups and you do like a second pressing yep. of each one? Oh, that's No, not so... each one, but oh. and if I really want to put on the dog, I'll have, I'll make one special for myself. <laughs> I don't care. It's just, it's just a, a slight caffeine buzz, ever so slight. And I love teas of all kinds, especially, um, uh, jasmine and pomegranate and and certain of the Chinese teas when I can get them. And is your love of tea related to something nostalgic or 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 you know, I don't know, did you watch a program as a young No, student? I got to travel very very far and mm -hmm. wide in in my life which makes me so happy. And the first cup I had in London of Earl Grey with milk and uh, sugar I thought, why? <laughs> Please, may I have may I have just lemon? <laughs> so, I'm not a milk and sugar person. Cool. We have a you know we now we meet the staff meets once a week in the space to do mm -hmm. a staff meeting and everything, and it's my one opportunity to have the cheap theater coffee. You know that. <laughs> We're so used to rotting our insides with during That's rehearsals funny because and everything. In all the years that I've worked here, I never drank coffee. I kept the Coke machine in in good business. <laughs> I drank gallons of Diet Coke and still drink gallons of Diet Coke, even though it's so terrible and it um, ruins your bones and all that stuff. Well, yeah, no worries. I'm, I'm a Coke Zero addict. I will drink Coke Zero. I love it. It's a little too sweet for me. I miss that chemical tang. <laughs> the chemical tang. You know what I discovered? I tell everybody because I want everyone to know the secret. The pandemic, the most important lesson of lockdown was that um, Drambuie makes Coke Zero taste like real Coke. <laughs> so just put a little wow. Drambuie in your Coke Zero. Wow. And it's like, I'm drinking a real Coke. <laughs> wow. Tell me about your first show here. Um, I, I auditioned for Norma Young the very first time. I was pretty pretty fresh out of graduate school, and um, she was so kind. She said, um, Cecilia, I'm so happy to meet you. I hope you will come back. I cannot use you in this play. <laughs> oh, man, those are whack tough me. words. Why yeah. don't you whack me? I got some other whacks too, but we'll talk about those later. But um, uh, she said, I feel like I've uh, uh, discovered somebody who can speak a, a line as it's written. And I said, well, I, but I'm, a, I'm, a, a, I'm an overactor. She said, we'll take care of that. So, <laughs> so that, that's how, and that had to be in 1974. Four, maybe. And do you remember what show that was? Yes, it was uh, Camilla. Camilla was was cast in it. It was one of the Molières. Oh, okay. Uh, the Misanthrope, I think. Okay. The Misanthrope, and I was just and but that's what she said. She said you could speak the lines in this in this play, and I said, um, really, you think I could? <laughs> 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 and and she, but but that was just like a, it was like 
pet, 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 and then whack. Yeah. But that is what theater, that's what live theater is like. I mean, that's, what, that's what the business of acting is all about. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. I was talking about this to one of our colleagues who uh, is a professor at SMU and has worked here, Blake Hackler. Um, and we were having a discussion about how, you know, he teaches at the university and they, ha they have to be very careful about how they critique the students now. And I, I have very, I'm sorry, strong, they're not I called have very students. strong feelings about this. I do too. And they're not students. They are clients. They are customers. Yeah. They yeah. are to be coddled and pampered. I was a guest director at the Margot... Uh, at SMU, mm -hmm. and I said, now, I want you all to lift your abdomens and your, and your uh, rib cages out of your pelvis. And one guy said, we've spent a long time trying to get solid on the floor. <laughs> I couldn't believe it. I couldn't believe it. And that was the, when I realized I might have been that arrogant at one time, but I don't think so. I was a little, no. no, well, you know, it would, if you have to have some sense of like, I'm all for like, you know, sure, like you said, the coddle, coddle, slap. We've all gotten that. Yeah. But if you don't have a sense within yourself already of being able to take harsh criticism, or if you don't think that you can dig deep within yourself to face some ugly issues about the world or about yourself or about people or humanity, then this is not the business for you. Um, not it, at all. You can't go, oh, I'm not going to do that because, or you hurt my feelings telling me that I'm not lifting my ribcage or whatever. I knew an actress who said, I don't want to be in a, in a polydent commercial. I don't want people to think I wear dentures. I said, <laughs> Norma. Are you serious? Wow. Yep. I mean, she, she was old-fashioned in a lot of ways, too. We all, wow. we all were and, and continue to be, I especially. <laughs> we have to do this in person, everybody, because I'm not technologically savvy. <laughs> we're not on Zoom. That's true. Um, so in the in previous podcast, Norma has remained elusive. In so many ways, when we ask questions about Norma, so many people go, well, she was enigmatic. And, that was, and that's the end of the conversation. Everybody well, says she was so strong, forced to be reckoned with. That's all I know. I'm yeah. sorry. Keep going. Yeah. I know her very, very, very well. Knew her very well. Um, one, one time, much later than, than that initial meeting, she said, come to my house for dinner. You're not in a play right now. Come to my house, and, and we'll have supper and just visit. So I did, and I, I showed up, and she had some baked chicken, and she didn't eat anything, and I just picked at it, and she said, now, read Cleopatra's monologue. And we had an acting lesson. Wow. In fact, it was she who told me, for film, you can't be your, your theatrical no. persona. She said, if it's a long shot, you can, you can move. If it's a medium shot, you can move, but less. If it's a close-up, think it. Mm -hmm. Wow. And it wow. really served me well, really served me well, because I had come from this um, theater college and graduate school where we did expansive things. We were larger than life. We were playing not only reality, but we were playing uh, Shakespeare and fantasy, and I did one one play, uh, Exit the King, Ionesco, and we were all dressed as samurai characters. I mean, we really with the with the tabis and the and the high sand, uh, the high shoes, and all, and we all looked like we were uh, those Japanese dolls that were, and it was fabulous, but it wasn't reality by any stretch of the imagination. So uh, we actually a lot. Of, I, Many people don't know that Norma had a pretty extensive film and television career. And once both she and Jack passed, everything was rolled to the theater. So we still get residual checks. How wonderful. From Norma. That's <laughs> I mean, wonderful. they're small, but we get, you know. I know. I think my smallest residual check is something like $2.71 every 13 <laughs> weeks. And, and the largest is not much more than 60 or 70. 
I got one of those classic one cent checks uh, last week, actually. I have not cashed many of them. They just they go by the wayside, and I find them. But yeah, I've gotten like twenty five cents or something. You're a young thing and cannot leave your mother yet. You will. You will. You will. You will. All what? Right. Um, so. So what was the first show then you were cast in? I was cast in One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest with Hugh Fagan playing McMurphy. And I thought I was being called back for Nurse Ratchet, of course. And I was called for uh, Candy, Candy, whatever her name is, McMurphy's girlfriend. Yeah. And a few weeks, because we used to play a long time. I think we used to play eight weeks. I'm not, I can't can't quite remember, but it was a long time. Yeah. And we did eight shows a week. Mm -hmm. That's the amazing thing. Yeah. I even remember when Theater 3 had a paging system. Oh, the, oh yes, yeah. Five minutes, Candy, yeah. Candy Star. Five minutes, Candy, five <laughs> minutes. <laughs> yeah, there's still remnants of it here and there remnants, in the building. Remnants, Yeah. But um, so I think that was in 1975, maybe? And I played Candy, and halfway through the, not even halfway, uh, we'd, be, we'd not been playing two weeks, and it was a Monday, and I was cooking, I think it must have been in November, because I was cooking a turkey, and the whole cast was coming over to my apartment. And uh, it was Jack, and he said, Cecilia, we are, uh, no, it was a Sunday, it was a Sunday afternoon, we didn't have a nighttime that afternoon, we just did the, the, matinee. And he said, we're canceling. No, we did have a show. He said, we're canceling tonight's show. Uh, study your script. Uh, we're going to rehearse all day tomorrow uh, because someone has left the cast and you have to take over Nurse Ratched. And I <laughs> oh said, oh my God, are you all still coming for dinner? <laughs> <laughs> I think we're still I brought eating tonight though, right? <laughs> I think I brought the, the 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 dinner and put it in the in the kitchen. So, oh my god! So you so you ended up playing Ratchet. I ended up playing Ratchet, and one of the boys said to me, ah, "You're the Ratchet of our dreams," <laughs> <laughs> which which made me. I mean, an actor gets gets accolades and and little pats from the strangest places. And when it is one of your fellow players, it's just phenomenal. That's the best. The best, the best. In fact, my daddy said to me once, he said, I forgot you were my daughter. And instead of taking that in any ill way or, oh my God, uh, I said, daddy, that's the greatest compliment you could ever have given me. He said, I did. It was, a, it was you were that girl and you were in great, great trouble. And wow. it was really cool. Really cool. We, um, so we, one of my first shows here, maybe it was the second or third show we did together as Bees and Honey Drown. And my favorite moment, of that, I still tell the story all the time. I don't know if you remember this. Because your character, I mean, was sort of stream of consciousness. Loquacious. The way she talked. Yes, loquacious. <laughs> Verbose. <laughs> and you had this line. Um, you were talking about something, blah, 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 and I have absolutely uh, no head for money. Well, one night we were doing it, or actually, I think it was a matinee, probably a sleepy matinee, <laughs> it makes sense. Do you remember, you remember this? So you start to say that line, and I saw, I saw your brain and I, your eyes widen, and your brain slowed down for a second, but you could not stop yourself, because you'd already started, and you said, blah, 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 I have absolutely no money for head. <laughs> <laughs> And you could, and the audience was like, huh? <laughs> and we're all, I mean, it was, it was damn near impossible not to lose it. I well, mean, I had to you. like look down. Thank and, you. Oh my God. So thank great. Thank you. <laughs> I, that, that show was underdirected, <laughs> underdirected and very much fun with you and Terry Dobson. Terry. And yeah. then later James, but it was just. Yeah, that was, so James Crawford, mm -hmm. that was. If not his first gig in town, one of his first um, when he moved here, um, and uh, yeah, was here. Such at two a to three. such a fine actor. Such oh yeah, a fine he's actor. so great. Yeah, I love being on stage with him. He was he came back into town actually a season and a half ago. He mm -hmm. and Christy were in a show here. He was was a really oh, great show. It was that, yeah, it was one of those shows where you just 
you're on stage with a group of fine, fine actors, and it doesn't, it doesn't even matter. It doesn't even matter because you're having so much fun doing the thing you're doing. And, you know, we had been on stage together before briefly, kind of like he was on that side of the stage and I was on this side of the stage. But for this one, we really got to play with each other and he's just so wonderful. That was a banner year for me. I played uh, Frozine in the Matchmaker in mm -hmm. the fall. Then I went over to Fort Worth and did uh, uh, a delicate balance for. Um, oh my God! I just thought about her last night. She and her husband ran ran Circle Circle Theater. Oh, Rose. Rose. Yeah. Rose. And then I came over. Jack said, "I want you to read for a show." And I, and I read the script and I said, it's not very good. It's just, <laughs> and, and, and he said, well, you either play it or you don't. <laughs> and I had a great time, but I think we were under-directed. Maybe a little bit. Speaking of directing, so you, uh, we've uh, been friends for years and part of that comes from, you witnessed my early insane need to, to be an artistic director over at Moonwater Theater Company, we asked you to direct that Tennessee Williams Which piece. was a terrific thing. You and Shannon. Shannon McGran. And and you were you were both quite wonderful. I, it was tiny, it was at an old movie theater, yeah. and it the set was great. It was a bunch of pieces of, of junk, yeah. and it was really wonderful. I love that piece, two-character play, or- Two-character um, play, yeah. Or Outcry, it has two. It has Outcry. Two, yeah. Um, Very not well-known. Yeah, I love that. I love that play. I did too, and I was thrilled that you asked me, and thank you. And it was where you had just just met Lydia. Just met Lydia. Just met Lydia. And the day before we opened, 9-11 happened. Oh, yeah. wow. I don't remember that. Yeah. I don't remember that. I, I think 9-11 is in a place all alone. Because when I lived in New York, the, the top of the World Trade Center was my favorite outdoor place. And I would go frequently, frequently up there. I loved it. It was like being on top of the world. And it was on top of the world. So I have lots and lots of pictures from up there. Wow. What a tragedy. tragedy. It's still odd to see, you know, sometimes I'm, I'm, I love watching movies and I love movies from the 70s. Like it's one of my favorite decades of film. And you know movies that take place in New York and the skyline—it's—it's it's so prominent, like the World Trade Center is right there. And you to think, oh wow, that's—it's—that's that's not there anymore. It's just surreal. It's just weird. Yes, it since, is. since you started here in the '70s, I was thinking about this earlier today. That I wish I would have asked some of our other guests too. Can you? Was there a difference in sort of what the theater was doing or attempting to do by decade? Or is there, was there, how did the theater sort of transform over the decades? It, I don't think it transformed. It was always a struggle to stay afloat financially, yeah. always. Jack and Norma poured everything they had into, into the thing. Uh, Jack would have to pick a season, seasonal theme and it was just, and everybody was scrambling. The, the talent pool was so much smaller then. Yeah. So much smaller. I, I was, for a long time, I was uh, a queen of Spanish language recording, quite simply because there wasn't anybody else. Yeah. And I had to, I, I could not do a, a long script unless I had it in advance and could work on it and work on it and work on it, overnight at least. So, because I, I speak much better Spanish now than I did then, but uh, somebody somebody called when I was still in graduate school at the theater center and said, we need somebody who speaks Spanish. Call Cecilia! <laughs> <laughs> and it was, for, it was a commercial for Sasson accent. <laughs> the best way to spice your homemade dishes is... <laughs> Oh my God! I still like it when they ask for that. I just oh, got yeah. I do too. I love like, it. Can you I adore add a little? Um, can you do a little? Um, <laughs> can you put a little? Uh, put a little Cuban in it. Little flavor. Put a little, in it. A little, a little flavor. Spice it up. Oh God. Well, my yeah. problem was that I was always asked where I was from, and some people said, "You speak Argentine Spanish." You speak, and another one in New York said, "You're not Cuban." And I said, "Of course, I'm not Cuban," <laughs> and but I got to learn how the slight dialects yeah. from 
Miami, from mm -hmm. uh, New York, from Los Angeles, and mm -hmm. Puerto Rico. I made a huge mistake once on a commercial uh, copy that I had translated. I called earrings aretes. Yeah. In Puerto Rico, they are pantallas. Oh, I didn't and know that. And this was for a Zales, Zales uh, jewelry store, mm -hmm. big layout that I translated. And boy, did I get smashed because I didn't do my homework. Yeah. Theater three did. I want to ask you about the um, graduate uh, studies here here in a second. But now it, it's not PC to use this term anymore. But at, at the time, theater three was sort of colorblind casting. Absolutely you colorblind. Yeah. Absolutely colorblind. I got to play uh, a redheaded cowgirl. I got to play the bride in Member of the Wedding. I got to play a young Roman matron who stopped Hannibal from sacking Rome. <laughs> that was a fabulous show, a oh, fabulous show. And uh, uh, Sherwood Anderson, The Road to Rome. I got to play dozens of things. And then I also had to d do the, uh, the heavy duty uh, Spanish accents and and it's that was my easy. next question yeah yeah and it was easy to to do comedy like that because it was just exaggeration and the problem was then that some people in the audience would take offense and the thing that an actor has to learn to do is not take offense you have to be careful to couch your words when I was uh, the head of the Texas Commission on the Arts uh, theater panel thanks to Jack Alder. Uh, I said that somebody was a smart cookie. And somebody said, would you like to retract that statement? And I said, no. She's, she's really sharp. And I didn't, I was impervious to some of, the, some of that stuff. What's wrong with smart cookie? I don't know. It bothered, it bothered the uh, staff in Austin. Oh, how strange. But that was very, very, that was in the not early 90s, I think. That's a compliment. Isn't it? I think it is. I think it is. I thought it was. Because this, this particular woman under consideration, uh, under, in, in conversation, was uh, she was sharp in business, in talent, in mm -hmm. presentation, in articulation, in, in everything that counts. Mm -hmm. And they, cookies are delicious. So <laughs> what's wrong with that? What's wrong with that? I'm going to get in trouble. I'm going to get canceled, Jeffrey. <laughs> I want to hear, we haven't, I don't know if we've had anyone on that's, actually I think we have, that's been through that program that the theater center had for, gosh, it wasn't that long, but for it several was, years. It was a long, long time. I, I actually got a scholarship to graduate school because my last name was Flores. And Mr. Baker said, oh, you can make your name twice as fast as anybody else because, because you have a Spanish last name. I said, that's not my milieu, you know, that's not really my, yeah. I, I, I can't take something that belongs to somebody who has, has, has not got some of the benefits that I have mm -hmm. because um, it, I have two prejudices, two serious, serious prejudices. One is bad manners, and one is education. And some people cannot get an education, so I can't, can't hold anything against them. Yeah. But if you have the opportunity to learn and you turn it away and you have no one to guide you toward, toward learning, because that's the... I'm going so off track. Please have me again. <laughs> this is, no, this I haven't is, had, this is I haven't had a conversation like this in so long, especially because of the pandemic. But pandemic, and then, you know, you, I miss, I think at some point I, I got a distaste in my mouth about talking about theater all the time, and now I miss it, you know? We just, I, you don't get to just talk about the, about this as yeah. much, well, you know? Well, the thing, the wonderful thing about graduate school, it was all about the creative process, not only for acting. You had you could not act on the stage of the Dallas Theater Center unless you had sewn 50,000 yards of fabric, hammered in 20,000 nails, uh, worked in the box office, worked in this, worked in that, worked in that. You had to be, you had to know how to integrate your abilities. And to this day, I think that that is the greatest uh, creative philosophy, 
he really put it into words. And we had a class called Integration of Abilities, and in uh, undergraduate, yeah. I just tossed it off, you know, just didn't really do it. We had to do all these wonderful things with an inanimate object, with, with walking, with rhythm, with colors, with this, and I just blew it off. And in graduate school, man, I spent hours and hours and hours working on it, and it was fabulous. So I recommend for all actors, Paul Baker's Integration of Abilities. You, you, can, you can find it. You can find it, I'm sorry to say, at Half Price Books. You can always go to the uh, Children's Theater, and, and uh, his, his daughter, Robin Flatt, will be delighted yeah. to talk to you about the uh, creative process. Oh, we should get Robin on the show. Oh, we should. Uh, so were there, were there professors, instructors, or was it all just practical experience? Uh, there were all degreed professionals, mm -hmm. but there, there was, it was, it was an avocation. It was a business. It was, you weren't, you didn't have the badge of being an equity member. Yeah. You didn't have that little badge of, you were professional, all right, but you didn't have that little pin that said, I, I, I belong to a guild. Yeah. <laughs> mm -hmm. So, but it was wonderful. It was wonderful. And anyway, so I got a, a, a scholarship, and we started, uh, Mr. Baker started a group called the Janus Players, which was for minorities. And Oh, uh, Vicki talks about yeah, that. Vicky yeah, Vicki Washington talks about yeah, that. Yeah, oh, oh, well, yeah, I know Vicki Washington, Margie Reese, a whole, I mean, when I think of all the people to whom I have been exposed mm -hmm. and to whom I have, with whom I've had the chance to be friends, it's just phenomenal. If I died this minute, I could would, would could could not be unhappy. So, and that's pretty amazing, I think. Yeah. Uh, but you have to understand, I've just gone through a lot of death with my daddy and a lot of people, and um, so it's pretty easy to say that when you've been doing that. But so everybody that we have on the show who has been a guest that we want to talk about, you know, the history of theater three, has a Larry O'Dwyer story. Do you have a Larry story for us? You can say anything on this show. Vicki Washington Be said motherfucker the other day, so you can say whatever you want. Right, I look at it this okay. way, too. If we had Larry on the show, he would say He anything. would say anything he wanted. Larry uh, uh, liked working with me because I, I was a good foil for him, and we worked together s several times and until one night I said, and this was in The Miser, and I said, Larry, you're stepping on my line such and such he says oh no oh no you must be mistaken and, you know just like larry and then when we were getting getting out of costume i don't know how how it happened but he said you know i never knew you had a weight problem Jeez. To go pure Spanish language, I Chihuahua. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I loved Larry O'Dwyer. Larry O'Dwyer, and he would tell the most peculiar stories about himself and his life. And he respected the written words so much, and he he really felt words, but it, but they didn't come out artificial, artificially. You know, they didn't sound artificial. Yeah, coming from him. So he was just. I, I only was I only did one show with him and didn't have a lot of experience with him, but you could tell he was just someone who always burned hot, burned bright. You know, it was. You know, he w he was remarkable, and he was very well received and and acknowledged when he moved up to Washington and did lots and lots of work yeah. around there. But he it was a little bit l late in life for him to to really get to be. He was the most wonderful character actor I've ever, yeah. maybe ever seen. So I don't care if you don't think I, if you thought I had a weight problem. <laughs> wow. It was, I mean, it cut me to the quick. And it was because I had dared to say, you're not being fair to me on stage, Larry. Oh, but I still love him very much, very much. <laughs> well, you know, we all have our insecurities. I look at that and I go, wow, that must have, that must have really bothered him that you brought that to his attention. So he had to find a way to. He did. He did. To turn it around. He did. And in the most personal way. 
the most personal way. But again, you have to have a, a thick skin. Mm, yeah. So, and I'm sure I, I don't think I shed any tears, but you know, it did hurt. You son of a. <laughs> <laughs> what do you think, what, what plays should we be doing? Not necessarily theater three, but what plays should get done that are not getting done anymore? I think you can't go wrong, here we go, with an <laughs> Agatha Christie. People love murder mysteries. I love them. People love murder mysteries, but they have to be tight. They have to be really well done. And you can't have anybody who is, who is less versed in the art than, than the rest of the cast. You can't, you daren't. And this was the, the, the trouble because with um, uh, having a few equity actors and, and then mostly non-equity actors, sometimes you had people who were personalities and people who were good actors, but they, they didn't understand some of the technique that you right. have to have. Oh, you don't know how happy you've made me. I, I love Agatha Christie and I love Agatha Christie plays. And this is one of like the really, really sad things that happened this past season was that we were set to do the new adaptation of Murder on the Orient Express by Ken Ludwig. And we were going to do it on stage here. And, and uh, we just, we, well, we're I think not you able need, to do I think it. you need, uh, she's a crowd pleaser. Yeah. And she's in my head because PBS just had a thing, mm -hmm. a, a biography of, of her. But you need to do crowd pleasers crowd pleasers you don't want to offend too many things too many too many audience scores with language and all it may be common it may be used but it's part of the reason that we've gotten so loosey-goosey with our morals with our uh, ideals with our politics with our everything mm -hmm. because uh, and sometimes I think it started with the 60s when double knit fabrics became the norm <laughs> Right? T-shirts, T-shirts, <laughs> denim, every, everything became relaxed and it's hard. It's hard not to moralize uh, when you've had a mildly libertine life. <laughs> you can't. You dare, you dare not do it. All you right. Dare. So super important question then. Um, Peter Ustinov or David Suchet? David Suchet. For me, David Suchet. Right. For me, David Suchet. Not Kenneth Branagh. Oh, I'm sorry, no. Kenneth. I'm so sorry. But... I'm sorry, Kenneth, but no. <laughs> yeah, he's coming out with a new one. The, the new Death on the Nile is coming out sometime later this, yes, this yes. year. Uh, crowd pleasers that have lots of love and sex and <laughs> contention. And I'm going to get you if you don't. And, but but it's very hard to find them that are interesting. Mm -hmm. I don't want well, they to don't see write them. I mean, they don't write them anymore like they used to. You know, in some of the early Agatha Christie's, because and I blame training. I really do because we don't teach acting students anymore to do high style. No, we don't teach them to do style. You don't teach them diction. You don't right. teach them uh, old-fashioned elocution. You don't. But my mother, my mother, God bless her, it was ninety-six and a half now, taught me to read poetry. Now, granted, she was an English teacher, uh, but I was, am very lucky to have been born into a family that really valued education, and I had, I had many ancestors who, who were educated, some that weren't. My favorite is a little pair of grave diggers that I can't find out completely about. They were, you'll know this word, soncitos. Oh yeah. Which is meant kind of simple-minded. Yeah. And I have heard that they were a pair of grave diggers who lived close to San Fernando Cemetery uh, in San Antonio. And I just, I'm dying to know, I'm dying to know. <laughs> I have uh, some, some great, great, grandparents with some uh, taint of a second family and, and another one of never having married. And I'm just dying to know these things, but yeah. so many people are so afraid. And I always tell my, my, my parents, well, you better tell me what you know, or I'll just make it up, <laughs> which I do plan to do. <laughs> I want to push back a little bit on the they're not teaching 
diction and styles. I think they still are. Where? I think I, Where and by whom? But, but maybe it's a little bit of by whom, but I, I wonder if it's a combination. I mean, nothing is ever just one thing. I wonder too, there's just less opportunities to, to flex that muscle. I mean, yeah, I had some style classes in college and some diction classes in college, but I didn't get, I really didn't get good at that until I started getting on stage and having directors yell at me and tell me, I can't understand what you're, Jack Alder at the back row, the first job of an actor is to be heard, you know, we, stuff I like mean, that. In my well, training, the, the, we were required to take, and by the way, I was trained the same way where it was like a holistic approach. You, if you wanted to be on stage, you had to do everything else, but it, period styles and diction were drilled yeah. into us. Um, and I just don't, I don't see that happening a lot. What a shame. Now. What a shame. And I just, you know, I love those. I am a lover of those old plays. You know, that's, everything is high style. That's the other thing about the Agatha Christie's is that everybody has to be on the same page. Like you said, everyone on stage has to be on the same page about the, where the train is going and uh, be familiar with that style. And not everybody is. Some some people don't get well, it. Well, it's quite a quite a hallmark, which is a, a, an old English guild term, uh, to be to be an equity an equity actor. <laughs> an equity actor. <laughs> I like an, that better. An equity too. actor because you are plugged into something that is so old and so so important. When actors were treated like dirt. And a few actors got together and said, we can't let them do this to us anymore. And then it got to be, oh, I'm equity and you're not. Yeah, that's, <laughs> and that's exactly, the yeah, worst. I that's agree. Any, any equity actor who lords it over everybody else needs to be shot <laughs> with some kind of tranquilizer. I agree with you. Me personally, I, I, I long for the days of when actors were treated like dirt so that we could just be gypsies, tramps, and thieves and not be beholden to anybody. <laughs> just fly into town and do a thing and then leave. An actor here, Helena Human, uh, we were doing a play called uh, uh, Ladies at the Alamo, and Norma was the uh, director and and and. CEO of a theater in Houston, and it was a sort of uh, uh, Nina Vance, is that her name? Yeah. Mm -hmm. It was a story t t on that. And Helena Human uh, gave me a, a book for opening night, and she said to a fellow member of the world of clowns or something like that, I took offense. <laughs> and then I thought about it and said, what am I doing? I'm putting on a little makeup. And I was very lucky because I didn't, I had strong features, so I didn't have to wear makeup. And uh, I said, I guess we are. Sometimes, you know, sometimes we're trying to make them laugh. Sometimes we're trying to make them cry. But I can remember how hard yeah. that hit me. I thought, I don't want to be called a clown. But don't you, now haven't you ever had that moment? And sometimes it's nice and sometimes it's exhausting. Like, and I always think of those shows that are super exhausting, like the Christmas carols, right? Where yeah. you're just like, oh, twice a day, eight days a week. Um, you know, that moment of standing backstage in your, you know, damp Victorian underwear, because you've <laughs> worn it a few times already, getting ready to go on, and it hits you. We have a strange life. What an odd life I have. And I wouldn't have it any other way. You have to love it. You have to love taking, and that's what Theater 3 was about, taking the author, the audience, and the actor, and putting them all together and being able to transfer somebody else's ideas. And that was quite, that is right. It's the author, mm -hmm. actor, I mean, yeah. author, actor, and audience, is that? Yes. That is correct? Yeah. Although if you ask Vicki Washington, she insists it should be playwright, actor, and audience, not author. But yes. yes. <laughs> and that's still some, I mean, that's something that Jeffrey is dedicated to and something that we're still yeah. very much, we, when we pick seasons. And, I'm and, thrilled. And I hope someday you'll have, for a, for a septuagenarian. Of course. We, yeah, we. Um, it would that be means, an honor. That means over 70. I'm, thank you. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> um, 
Do you, speaking of, do you, I've, I've always, I've meant to ask this of, of other folks who have performed here for a long time. Did you have, because when people cite the early history of Theater 3, Jack, Norma, and then Esther Raglan and Robert Dracup, or Richard Dracup. Oh, God. I don't know. I, don't, I know Esther Ragland. Did you know either of them? That I was my question. I knew Esther Ragland, and that was, I said there was another slap. Norma asked me to do a show with Esther Ragland, and uh, it was about a woman living in a tent or a house or something, and, and there was a young woman who, who began to interact with her. And, and uh, Esther, is Esther gone? Is Esther, Esther can't, can't possibly be alive. I don't, can't I don't possibly. Anyway, so. she, Norma asked me to do this very early in the season, and when it came time to go into production, Norma called me and said, Cecilia, I can't let you do this. Esther wants to work with Connie Nelson. It was another whack. But it happens. Yeah. It happens. Yeah. It was a, a famous play, but I, I'm over 70. I can't remember things. I can't wait to pull that card. I'm sorry. I don't want to work with you. Could someone please get me another actor? <laughs> that is crazy. It hurt. Wow. He says that to me every week. And he doesn't remember. <laughs> and he's not over 70. Well, uh, working for Jack and Norma was always amazing. Oh, I got smart when I was cast in, in uh, uh, Cuckoo, ch Change to Nurse Ratchet because I said to Jack, Jack playing the lead now. Don't you think I should be equity? Yeah. Equity, 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 equity. And he said, not this time, but soon. <laughs> and so I just, I just, and, and I got to be so many different things on this stage. So many different things. And we'd all, we'd, we'd comb the warehouse, but we'd also comb our own lives and our friends' lives and say, I have this great lamp. I, I gave to Kyle McLaren a lamp that had belonged to one of my great-grandmothers, a little, little puffy lamp that had crystals hanging. He just loved it so much. And uh, I said, that, that was my great-grandmother's. And it wasn't expensive at all. It was just a cool thing. And I gave it to him at the end of the show. And he said, we'll give away, give this away. And we're having trouble now because my sister wants, is, is helping to clear out my father's vast collection of antique toys. And uh, she wants me to let go of everything, especially a picture of my daddy, a little tiny boy. And it says, dear son, we couldn't find the original, but this is the next best thing. And my grandfather was a photographer and a filmmaker. And he um, has a picture of daddy by this little car that got lost or absconded with by cousins or something. And <laughs> Kathy said, I'm going to offer this to, to a museum to go with the, the toys I'm offering. And I said, no, I want that. And I want the picture of, of, of mommy with the blah, 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 blah. And she said, Cecilia, when you die, who's going to get these things? They're all going into the trash can. So, okay, it's they very might, hard. They might not. They might not. They might not. But that's the thing. We we are so transient. And when you are on stage, you feel like the most important thing in the world. And you are for the two hours where the attention is is on you. But you don't. You have the obligation. You have the the duty to um, to to deflect that and give it back to the audience in terms of understanding, in terms of enlightenment, in terms of entertainment, in terms of rubbing them the wrong way a little bit. They, and often it gets painted in a bad light, but I, I think if most actors are honest with themselves, that jolt of energy to your ego for those two hours is just, that's good stuff. That is good medicine. It's the best. Yeah, it feels it's great. It's the best. It and feels great if you don't let it go to your head. If yeah. you don't let, of yeah. course. Yeah. yeah. If you course. Will, if you remember that that it, that you are the vessel of something else that's happening. Of course. Another yeah. play I did here was when you coming back Red Rider, mm -hmm. which was really popular when I was a youngster, and we had a, a, a like a theater center would do. We'd have talks afterwards and people would stay and we'd, we'd line up on one of these little sides and get 
ask questions. And one of the women in the cast said, "Oh, she said somebody asked, how do you how do you get off your character? How do you how do you come down after a show?" And one woman said, "Oh my God, it's so tough. I have to." maybe have a drink, I have to, I have to really get out of, I really, it takes me a long time to get over this. <laughs> I said, it's a job. <laughs> I said, if you can't step in and out of your character, then you shouldn't be an actor. And, and Candy just, woof, she didn't like me saying that. And different Candy. But it's true, you have to be able to distinguish between reality and Fantasy, illusion, everything we put on the stage is second hand. It's through a lens, darkly or lightly, whatever yeah. you want to say. But it's 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 not it's not real. And yet it is our absolute commitment to making it real. It's I mean that how much more like life and death can you get? How much more like uh action and reaction, black and white, you just and then you think about some of that little Mars rover thing up there. Yeah. I don't even count. <laughs> right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Right. Right. But we're not talking about Theater 3 enough, you guys. <laughs> no, this is Theater 3. This is exactly. No, it's fantastic. Yeah. This is exactly the kind of stuff that we like to hear and the kind of conversation that we like to have. Well, well is there one thing, before we wrap it up, is there one thing we haven't talked about that you absolutely wanted to talk about? Uh, I met a lot of important people here. Jack and Norma were so important to me, so important. I felt so such loss when when Norma died, and then when Jack died, because Connie and I spent so much. Connie Coit, my my very best friend of forty five years, and if there were ever two people like Mutt and Jeff, you know, like uh, uh, olive oil and. <laughs> Popeye, but I don't know who, neither one of us are olive oil at Popeye, but you know what I'm saying. Absolute, <laughs> yeah. absolute, yeah. excuse me, I'll get it later. Absolute uh, uh, opposites. And Connie and I spent so much time with Jack as he was getting more and more ill. And it was just such a loss, such a loss. And, and no one, no one, I wanted Lawson Tate or someone to come out of of retirement and just praise this man to the skies because he was the arts in Dallas in he, all forms. There was no better advocate for the arts. That is a, that's a deep, that's a, a great loss. That's why I was um, so, so thrilled when he asked me if he said, would you be interested? Cause he found out that I was doing site visits for National Endowment for the Arts. My, my very good friend, John Black, who was a Paul Baker, student also, worked for the National Endowment for the Arts. And he said, Cecilia, do you think you'd be interested in being a site visitor? I said, would I? So I got to travel some and and see different theater groups around around the country and and uh, evaluate them, And my in my opinion. And I was always fair and not, but I didn't, I couldn't judge everything and everybody by my personal standards, if that makes sense. Because I couldn't say, this little town needs to have somebody who, who can pronounce everything and do this, that, and the other, do this, that, and the other. You had to get the unities. You had to get time and place and, and how much education the cast had had. And, and I said, would I, would I ever like to do that? And then Jack later said, I think you'd be good on the on this panel, and it was fabulous. It was. You really called fabulous. me actually that shortly after he passed. You were still in the hospital. You called me to let me know he passed away. I was actually working um, on that Francis Ford Coppola project, um, mm -hmm. and you called me, told me, and then I had to go right back on stage. I um, didn't know that. I'm sorry. Yeah. Oh well, no. Yeah, I was. I was so. I was glad you called me and like Mary and let Martin. Me know. Mary Martin got word that her daddy had died. Uh, just before she had to sing, uh, "My Heart Belongs to Daddy," uh, oh, on, wow. on Broadway. That's a that's a true story. Wow. That's a true story. And see, you, I am lucky to have been born reading. I love to read, and I can just devour books. In fact, I have some books on my. I'm culling books now, and my there's a 
biography of Beatrice Lilly. There's a biography of uh, Ellen Terry. There's a biography of that I've got to give away, but because nobody, hardly anybody knows who Beatrice Lilly is anymore, a British comedian, and and I don't think that the, the I'm giving a lot of books to the uh, arts magnet. I taught at the arts magnet, which was a, a wonderful thing, but now they've taken integration of abilities, or so I've heard off the curriculum, which is a real pain for me. I don't want that to go away. Because, and you have to know all, you, have, you don't have to know anything. You have to, it would be nice if you wanted to know. You have to know a little bit of everything. I mean, in what we do, especially if you are an actor, that's my personal opinion, I mean, as an actor, you have to be, you, you give up the right to not be interested in lots of things. Christy, very well said. You, very as well an actor, said. you give up the right to not be interested in the world. And very rarely do we introduce someone on this podcast and say, this is so-and-so, and they do this. It's, this is so-and-so, and, and they, they are this, this, and this, and this, this and this. this. Yeah. Everybody in this, who works in this building, does this, and this, and this, and this, and this. It's called that's, integration that's of abilities. Most, yeah. It's the most valuable. Integration of abilities. And, and Jack and Norma were just beacons, beacons of a true artistic uh, pair who, who were willing to uh, sublimate themselves for the betterment of, of their theater, their theater. So, Thank God. you so much for no, being on the episode. I don't want to stop talking. Well, today. Why, don't we just, why don't we just continue this over a cup of coffee somewhere? <laughs> <laughs> that would be great. I mean, I would love to join you and Jeffrey. I have to go to a rehearsal. Okay. But it was so lovely to hear you talk about theater. You you seldom hear people talk about it in in the way that I the way I was trained in it and those ideas and uh, and unselfishly as though we are part of something bigger. We are we are um, what is the 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 uh, love love the art in yourself not yourself in the art i haven't heard that but that's that's very yeah good. the check um, Chekhov used to say that so. <gasps> michael check well no, michael Chekhov no, or no. anton Chekhov? anton Chekhov. okay michael Chekhov is my favorite acting the only text i ever read mm -hmm. really read i had all of them have all of them never opened them but <laughs> michael Chekhov says you only need three things to be an actor you need to uh enrich your psychology which means be open to everything you have to uh, uh, train your instrument, which is your body and your voice. And three, the most important, is be willing to let your instrument do anything you tell it to. <laughs> that says a lot more than those three sentences, basically. So um, this is very selfish, but I wish you would invite me again. Oh, but, yeah, oh we, we will. We absolutely will. This is, you. this is a part of a, a large um, plan to document as much as we can about the history of Theater 3, but also that just get to know the people who sort of made this who, place. Who, who it, built this house. Who built this house, yeah. So we need to, now that we're heading into um, season two, yeah, we'll start bringing people back. And then if, I, if I win the lottery, I don't always play it, but if I win the lottery, I'll put Theater 3 on my, on my, list of beneficiaries. Oh, thank you. <laughs> then we'll definitely have you back. <laughs> thank you, Cecilia. It was so great to talk to you. Thank you, Christy Vela. And yeah. I'll see you next time, Jeffrey. All Jeffrey right. Schmidt. That's me. Um, please come to Theater 3.